into the world. But to change the world in a way that means anything. It's slow. It's methodical. Welcome to Two Bit Encryption, the officially unofficial podcast for Mr. Robot on USA. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're doing our season two wrap up. We've seen the entire season. We have thoughts on it. I think if you've listened to this season finale episode, you probably roughly know our thoughts on the season because we we dipped our toe in there. Uh, But we're going to do a little bit more discussion about that and also follow up with a lot of listener feedback. I know you're not as big a fan of Bill Simmons and his empire as I am. I don't know if you listen to any of the Ringer podcasts. Do you listen to The Watch, or have you heard that uh, referenced? I've heard. I I know what it is. I haven't uh, heard it. Okay, so he, Sam Asmell did an interview with them that a lot of people were talking about, uh, and that kind of sheds light on the, what he considers the story and what he's trying to do with Mr. Robot, and I'm not sure if it's going to push you further over the edge or make sense in context i I can't wait to discuss it with you um so we'll get to that in feedback in fact i you know i spent 90 minutes before we got to feedback last week talking about the finale and how i felt about season two i don't know that i have a lot more to say i don't think that my i don't think i certainly hasn't worsened um if anything it's slightly mellowed and that like you know and and the other thing is I, i guess more people thought we were thinking of bailing on the show uh, than I would no. have suspected, because we are absolutely not bailing on Mr. Robot. We will absolutely be back for all of Season 3. Uh, right. now. Did they not hear season- me say that Season 3 is set up to be rocking? Come on, people. Uh, but but there again, I think that there is a very real danger of if this we get a, a similar Season season 3, Season 2, that I think you and I would both be like, I don't know that we're the right people right. to do this podcast, because it's just not made for us. Yeah. So I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're you're definitely going to get another season out of us, and I'm definitely still engaged with the material. There's a little mildly mild frustration with, um, you know, the 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 whole slow jerk, <laughs> right? You know, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. That uh, it's 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 uh, it, there was a lot a lot a lot of happening, and you know, I, I also thought it was interesting that a lot of people took. I think you and I both would say that characterization and characters are not Sam Esmail's strong suits or mm-hmm. what he's leaning into. Yet I think from this interview with the ringer, Sam himself thinks that he is serving the character and he's not right. as much interested in the plot. And a lot of people are, are going to take that point in the mailbag. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should just get right to it. Yeah. I mean, I don't have like you, I don't have a ton more to say. You did know, you, I did was you generally any? Or like, are you less? No, no. Um, no, I, I was generally disappointed with this season um, because, like you said, I, I'm just not the audience for this. If if this is what Mr. Robot wants to be and, and season two is a better indicator of how it's going to progress going forward, then I'm probably not the right person to be watching this show or mm-hmm. this is not the right show for me. Um, and, and there are plenty of people out there who enjoyed it. So right. I'm, I'm not going to say, you know it's it's a piece of shit i'm not gonna say it's bad i'm just gonna say i was disappointed i was i did not leave satisfied it would totally be inaccurate to say this is a piece of shit show (laughs) right like that's like i don't like the americans but i would Uh never in a million years say that it's a terrible television show it's a great television show it's just not for me in in where i'm at in my life in the year 2016 so and i was infinitely happier when i stopped watching the americans now lots of people disagree yeah uh you know there's i get a lot of people saying i don't get the leftovers why do you guys think this is the best show on television 
I can't help those people. Yeah. I just do because for who I am in the year 2016, that show is really fits me like a glove. So mm-hmm. um, it's the, the the jury's still out on Mr. Robot, but nobody's going to doubt that it's like a very quality in the way it's made and acting talent and majority of even the dialogue thing. I think it's it's a really pleasant show to watch. And and the craftsmanship, that's what I'm trying, uh, the craftsmanship is, is very high. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I guess I mostly agree with that. Although, Neither, I, where it comes down to it, like the craftsmanship of right. maybe the writing or pacing right. or direction. Um, it's like Mulholland Drive, right? You can't deny that that's a well-crafted flick, but you also kind of hate it. Right, right. <laughs> this felt a little too David Lynch for me. A little Lynchian? Yeah. All right, so do you want to let the people have their say? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Tony A. Uh, has some... This, this is a smattering of analysis. This, this mailbag is a mixture, like Mr. Robot itself, of analysis and character discussions and theory crafting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this first one's kind of a deep dive on Joanna. Tony A. said, The reason we keep seeing Joanna being physically abused during sex was to show us that this is her in a position where... Yes, she's being physically harmed, but it's coming from a place of control, and that this is her game where we see her take pleasure in the pain she is in control of and commanding the person to cross lines they might not have normally. Ultimately, this was all a tool to have us uh, have an aha moment in her scene with Scott Knowles, where she, which helps us figure out being attacked underneath them was not by accident, but exactly where she needed to be for her overall plot to work. Uh, so... I think, you know, my opinion was that Joanna, this was kind of like, um, I mean, I guess I expressed confusion. Like, was I supposed to understand that all the sex play was her leveling up so that she could do this plot? Was it to provide cover? Uh, You know, she's essentially like training like a boxer. You know, uh, getting, getting, which of course we know that's silly. No, that doesn't work. It's, it's, Uh, well, I mean, you can certainly up your pain tolerance, but you can't, you know, up your concussion resistance or your facial bone structure. Uh, Uh, So this is more just an extension of who she is. When, when, when she baits Scott into attacking her, she doesn't, she doesn't do it because she knows she can take it. Right, right, She does right. it because she now has the control, and that's the way she's getting the control. Right. He continues, in this scene, we might have been confused thinking, oh, shoot, she shouldn't have taunted him this bad. Instead, we should remember that she is in control and this is her game. Right. That Kong, makes a lot of sense. Kong back Philip Price's line about being the most powerful person in the room. Her motive in the long Python strategy to frame or blackmail the man who proved to be the most more powerful than her husband when he won against Tyrell for the CTO position. Uh, maybe she might not only pin the murder of his own wife on him, but next season we might see her create a way where she pins the whole 5-9 hack on him, making Tyrell look like a scapegoat instead. Because without Tyrell walking free and innocent of all this, she could never be with him again without being in hiding forever. Uh, and now this is, this is the other thing. I'm not entirely sure that I agree with the analysis, because it seems like you are assuming, Tony, that... Uh, Tyrell and Joanna are in a love of their life type situation, mm-hmm. and I don't. I I I think there is equal evidence to suggest that, and also equal evidence that Tyrell is just one of the many doofuses that Joanna is kind of wrapped around her finger to manipulate to her own ends, which I don't fully understand. Okay. Um, although I will admit that her just being like him and her being in like uh, we're made for each other love is a little bit cleaner. Because, you know, that... 
that that that, that her motivations just you know to to get vengeance for him and to you know do do her part to pave the way for his return like you know he's mm-hmm. trying to um progress the nine five nine hack and she's trying to clear him of the charges from that so that he can come out of this as some kind of hero but you know that that's that's also assuming a lot of things that i'm not sure i'm ready to assume like tyrell's still alive uh-huh. i still am very much up in the air leaning towards the fact he's not um that, that this that 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 mr robot being shot is just a uh, a larger scale of what we saw, um, or Elliot being shot is just a larger scale of what was happening in the very first episode of this season where Mr. Robot was ritually shooting him in the head. Okay. Uh, Steve J says, a lot of discuss- What? Where are you on that after a week? Are you thinking Tyrell's real? Was that bullet real? I mean, I want to I believe that Tyrell's real. Yeah. Because at this point, I, I don't, I'm tired of being jerked around. Okay. Uh, to To a certain degree. I don't, I don't want everything to be completely ambiguous. And so I'm going to try and latch on and say this is real. Now my that that may be a shame on me sort of thing next next season. Uh that's yet to be seen, but um for now I'm going to I'm going to try and re-anchor myself in Tyrell is real. Well, hold on to your butts cuz oh, Steve boy. J <laughs> Steve J is about to outline what might be your worst case scenario. Oh god. Uh you know, mind awake, body asleep here, Jim. <laughs> a lot of discussion, Steve says, is centered around if Tyrell is real or not and their scene, but I haven't seen any discussion of what led up to the specific moment of Elliot being shot. In the previous episode, Elliot came up with a way to spy on Mr. Robot to see what he was up to without Mr. Robot's direct knowledge, lucid dreaming. Elliot goes to sleep with the ongoing self-hypnosis, mind awake, body asleep, until he pops into his lucid dream to see Mr. Robot going through papers and decoding numbers to... Uh, call to get to a, me- a meeting location. He then follows Mr. Robot out of the apartment and through town, loses him for a while, gets picked up by Tyrell, and ends up at the warehouse for the stage two reveal and leading to Elliot being shot. The problem is, at no point did we ever see Elliot wake back up into the real world. What are the chances he's still asleep in his bed? Angela says that she wants to be the first one there to see him when he wakes up, seemingly nonplussed that he's been possibly shot or was dying. What are the odds we find out in the premiere next season, the Elliot storyline, the last two episodes were all a dream or trance that he put himself into? First of all, Angela is nonplussed by everything. <laughs> Angela wears a fucking mask more than anybody else on this show. So you got to discount that right there. Well, that's because uh, she's a robot, literally. <laughs> right. Uh, she escaped from the Westworld factory. But here's the thing. We know that Elliot does things in his sleep, like takes physical actions in the real world in his sleep, right? Yeah. Because Mr. Robot does. Um so, in my opinion, like, his dreams are, like, when he goes into this lucid dream state, he's not going into an actual dream. What he's doing is just following Mr. Robot. He's getting access to another portion of his psyche. Okay. To to his other personality here um, without that personality's knowledge. Like, that, that seems to me what's happening. Now, I suppose he could be actually dreaming. But holy shit, does that re-complicate everything? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> now we've got psychosis, we've got split personalities, we've got dreams, we've got hallucinations. Sleep disorders. Right. What the fuck, man? It's going to be next season going to be about his struggle to get a CPAC mask without any kind of health insurance or on $50 <laughs> right. a day. Like, you know, sleep apnea is a, is a real affliction. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It, I think it's all a dream. 
is the hackiest hack that ever hacked a hack, and mm-hmm. it was busted and played out 30 years ago when it when the the first time I can remember it happening like straight up was like on Dallas, and I just I don't think the show could survive something like that. Like it already was kind of tough to swallow the whole. We thought, you know, Elliot's in prison, and I, I think the the fact that that kind of was an open secret by the time that re- revealed it saved it, because if that was like, I, I almost wonder, like, if Sam Esmail completely pulled that off, mm-hmm. at very bottom, been like, oh come on, you can't have show a guy walking down a street and then nope, he's in an institutional corridor, and of course they did a lot of stuff to set us up for that, like Elliot apologizing that he's lying to us and he's not telling us the whole truth and yada right. yada, so. I don't know. Here's the thing. If this is a dream. Yeah. And we haven't actually been told what stage two is. Right. We don't, like, stage two may not even exist at this point. Okay. What the fuck does that do to the end of that season? That makes it entirely pointless. Because now you've got. Elliot just dreaming of what well, stage two is. But th- that would make a certain amount of sense, though, right? Because... But it's th- not in motion? I mean, is... No, I, I would think that, like, he would know about stage two because in my... And so in my theory, where he and Mr. Robot and Elliot are all the same person at this point. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I, I do think that you can, that the Elliot... The, 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 that Tyrell was a real person. He probably was murdered in the F Society room. And then... You know, he became a figment of, of so. So, in my mind, in 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 my mind, in Elliot's mind, he has all of this information. It's just firewalled off from the different personas. Right. So, yeah. if he did enter some kind of lucid dreaming state, it would actually make sense. Maybe the only thing that makes sense about that situation that he would have access suddenly. Oh, I don't fully understand it, but I see this information, and as he goes through it, his his other persona kind of. I mean, that's how he sees his dawning understanding as the other persona is explaining it to him. I guess how is how is that substantially different from the way things played out? If you believe that it's all real, I guess that's true. Like and, at that point, it like would you're be very, the same. You're, you're, yeah, you're right. Because in that, you got this matrix situation where the dream world seems more real than the real world. Like in the dream world, it's it's New York, circa late '90s. In the real world, you're flying around in hover ships and fighting squid robots, and like, what the fuck? Wearing shitty cotton clothes. Uh, yeah, I. That's a fair question. How is that materially different? Because it's almost yeah. like, you I know, guess it, it means that. I don't know. I I think it's certainly possible that Tyrell is not real. Whether this is a dream or him just, right? Uh, you know, following Mister Robot through some kind of lucid state. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, I'm going with Tyrell. Is, Tyrell's not real. Right on. Or t- Tyrell is real, rather. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Vicky in Sam Esmail made a comment about hating... Okay, so this is a reference to the uh, the Ringer interview that he did on their podcast and, and video show. Okay. Vicky in said, Sam Esmail has made a comment about hating plot and that what he really enjoys is character development. He seems to view plot as a necessary evil and is much more interested in why and how people act with respect to the plot, not the plot itself. I'm afraid that since his main focuses are character and world building, he genuinely feels like he did move the show forward. He introduces the Dom, he formally introduces the White Rose, fleshed out Price, Joanna, Angela, Darlene, and the Merry Band of Hackers. I think he views season one as his prelude to the introduction of Elliot and Mr. Robot. Given his focus on characters, I'm not sure season two is ever supposed to be about stage two but instead the broader cast of characters. 
Personally, it turns out I love this. I find a performance is riveting, so I'm okay with not knowing where the hell this is going and able to sit back and enjoy the ride. But I'm left wondering how long will other viewers be okay with the possibility of little or no plot development? How long will you guys be able to hang on if this is truly the way this guy works? P.S. When discussing the Elliot and Jail twist, Sam also mentioned that there was something the viewers didn't pick up on but wouldn't tell what it was. Any idea what that might be? All right, let's leave that for a minute. Mm-hmm. My problem with this is, yes, all this is true. Uh, Price, he has fleshed him out, but I find him a completely implausible and silly character. Mm-hmm. Joanna is a fairly implausible and silly character, but I will admit in the last two episodes, she's finally gotten some teeth, and I'm like, she's kind of got her hooks into me. I'm she's 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 moved into the world of crazy but interesting, or like crazy. She she was just crazy, now she's crazy interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela, I you you and I feel very differently. Like I feel like the right. fish tank scene kind of made all the other shit with her worth it, especially if we think that there's something. Elliot-like special with her involving some kind of weird sci-fi plot, which I know it's so funny because half the fans are saying, like, Mr. Robot definitively <laughs> moved away with that, and the other half of fans right. are like, nah. Um, and, and, you know, Angela, or I mean, Darlene, I, 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 we, I don't feel like I found anything about Darlene that I didn't, other than the fact that she's always felt like she was second banana to Elliot. Right, and she, she made a run at being first banana. Right. And fell back to second banana. Right. Which probably would have ended her up with her in a crawl space, so that's no banana. Uh, Here's the thing. And, that, and, and, and for 12 episodes, I don't know that that was a lot of... And, and, and again, right. I, I feel like I didn't like her inter- interrogation with Dom at all. And I mm-hmm. guess if you feel like that was the moment, like Angela confronting Scott Knowles, that kind of made everything come before it worth it. But I don't, I don't see it. So you mentioned crawl space. <laughs> here's here's why I think plot is important to character development and they're they they are inextricably linked. For me, yes, character development is great. I love to see it. But it's just seeing how people react to events is just as important for character development as giving us backstory, right? Right. And without events happening, you mm-hmm. can't have them react to those events. And that's that's the thing I'm, I'm you know I mentioned crawl space. That's the thing that Breaking Bad did so well for me is it constantly evolved the characters mm-hmm. while hanging all of that on a really interesting plot. Right. By the time you get to the crawl space moment that you're referring to, you understand exactly why that reaction is happening. You don't need and words. You never think like what the fuck like that came out. I kind of broadly agree with you. I think where he's maybe going wrong is that. characterization only is interesting when you've got a situation where a character can plausibly react. It can be a surprising reaction, but in hindsight, you'd be like, oh, well, yes, they're building up all this. This is, this makes sense. When you have a character like Angela, (laughs) what is, what do you, how do you expect her to react? And I think that's what was interesting is when you throw her into a totally bizarre alien situation. Like, I don't think throwing Walter White in that situation would be super interesting. Throwing Angela in that situation is interesting because it's almost like a science experiment that we're all getting the results of at the same time. It forces her to do something. Yes. To to react in some way. Yes. So, 
I but yeah, I think that you've, you're making a good point that that if you if you don't pay attention to the plot, then essentially you have like some kind of weird Rube Goldberg machine, which is fun and cool to look at, but what the hell did it do? Right, it made you toast. Like this, yeah. This, Come this, on, Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah, this this, <laughs> and it made you bad toast. Sure, sure. Somehow the boot's kicking a marble, and it's kicking on a fan, <laughs> and blowing a toy sailboat over, and burning a rope, and a mouse gets caught. Like, uh, okay, right. yeah. I like well, it was cool to watch, but I, you know. But I mean, that's so. What, I guess you can. What does the mouse all... think in that situation? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I'm caught. Right. Uh, yeah. I. I mean, I guess you can go all characterization, but to keep me personally as a viewer engaged, mm-hmm. I need to see these people doing things. I need to see these people reacting to the things that are happening around them, and there just right. wasn't enough happening around them this season. Right. Okay, I yeah, I said I I I tend to agree, and I also understand why. I, I also understand Vicky's point of view here the, about the characterization because it there is the, the the performances are so good and so absorbing that even without the plot, it, it's kind of like you know it, it's like watching a Rube Goldberg machine. It it is entertaining, um, but I also share a concern with I don't know like if if you find out at the end of the day it's just making toast or it's just catching a mouse like is all this worth it? Yeah, like you could have taken a much more direct route that would have had a lot more emotional resonance. In some uh, cases, it we didn't even catch the mouse. We just revealed we're we're trying to catch a mouse. Here. Right, like, right. Or did we? We could be. We well, dreamed the mousetrap. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Stu, just finished your finale recap for Mr. Robot where you discussed how Joanna was letting her boyfriend beat her and it didn't tie into the plot to frame the CTO. I think her original plan was to try to frame her boyfriend for the CTO's wife's murder. He was at the party and claiming that she had attacked her, or he attacked her in the same way as a CTO's wife or Scott Knoll's wife uh, was attacked. Could serve to exonerate her husband, especially if that boyfriend is conveniently killed by the government issued face man after the attack and couldn't contradict a statement. I love the fact that we've got people referring to this guy's government issued face man. <laughs> it's great. Uh, however, when she found out the CTO was the one who had sent her the phone, she decided it would work even better to confront him and send him over to Edge so that he would attack her. Um, I actually like this. I mean, here's the thing. This is seems like an unfalsifiable theory because right. I a lot of speculation was that she was picking out a Patsy and having her choke her and beat her so that she could develop, you know, get the evidence and frame this this guy that was at the party and like all all this other stuff that made sense. Mm-hmm. And now she's like, when she went to confront Scott Knowles, she pivoted into, well, this is even better. Mm-hmm. But unless she comes out and says that, this is all just things we're inferring. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. There's a thin, some, some of the, some of the best in literature and cinema does that kind of stuff where it doesn't tell you explicitly. It just kind of shows you. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a fine line. Like at some point, you need to give the viewer a couple of anchors where they can be like, ah, yes, I did understand what was going. So I, uh, going on. So I have the confidence to, to, to go further. Like. I don't know whether it's some, it, you know, and this is why I'm not a Hollywood writer, but like it'd be hacky to have her give like a James Bond villain skit, skit of like, oh, I was going to be perfectly happy to frame this fuck up boyfriend I've got, but you now you've made juicy target and right, you, know. you don't you don't necessarily want to just exposit that, right? No, but, but you need to some point you tell need the, to indicate it somehow tell the, tell the viewer that they were on the right track, or so they can have the confidence to know. 
they're on the right track. And also, so, it's kind of like if when you're showing, not telling, you also have to kind of beckon the viewer, like, keep following me, keep following me deeper in this cave. It's all going to yeah. pay off. If you never tell them that, if you just, like, keep barreling ahead into the darkness, eventually the viewer's going to be like, you know what? I think I'm good here. In fact, I'm going to head back towards the light. <laughs> right. Uh, I would like to, or maybe somebody has done this already, but go back and try and analyze Joanna's reactions to the gifts. Because if you can see that maybe she knows that Scott's the one giving him, uh, giving the gifts and leaving all this this weird phone calls and stuff. I think it's almost po- proof positive that she found out it was Scott when a government-issued face man gave her that data. Right, gave her the location of the phone. Right, because he, everyone was confused except for when Joanna saw it. She's like, yeah, I'm... So... Maybe she's. I may. I guess that's evidence that she also suspected it. I just. But. I want to see your reactions to the gifts because if they're more like, because they could go either with Tyrell, where she would be like happy to see them, right. or or somewhat, you know, intrigued or right. or pleasantly surprised versus being disturbed by them. Right. If okay. It was Scott Knowles, and if she knew, like when she knew. Uh, Ed L said, "Hey guys, is it just me? But the but the way Tyrell said that he loves Elliot, speaking of him, uh, Elliot, kind of clashed with what we th- knew or thought we knew of Tyrell. Mm-hmm. He's a man that, if anything, comes across as heartless to everyone but his wife. When speaking to Angela, he freely and seemingly has strong affection for Elliot. Furthermore, the way he said he loves him stood out to me. It sounds not like a friend or even family member. It sounded like he has some reverence for Elliot, like how someone would say they love the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's very strange to me. I wonder if Tyrell is somehow redeemed by Elliot or Mr. Robot and now has some kind of newfound direction and purpose in life or phase uh, to uh, that has given Tyrell an almost church-like revelation. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, yeah, I think he, you nailed it. That it is that. He, he views... Elliot as giving him a purpose. So now that I like that analysis, um, but it does conflict with my idea of my kind of conviction that uh, Tyrell is dead. Because the other thing is that the other theory I like, and okay, I think this is that would be pretty narcissistic for for Elliot. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, you got to love yourself before you can love others. Everyone says that, but then if, you know, I then, guess yeah, then, I love then that we, part then, of myself. Then we snub people that like are full of themselves, right? Of course, this yeah. is this is the weird thing in American culture where you have to be humble, but you also have to be confident, right? And you got to be grounded, but also kind of aloof and like fuck all that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I don't know because I also like the idea that like Angela and Tyrell are some kind of Scott Summers, Jean Grey, time traveling baby situation from right. straight out they're of their the Chris Claremont years of the X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, if, if, if uh, cable shows up, it's, it's all over. Um, there's like 10 Marvel fans in the audience that got that joke. Uh, let's move on to Nicole M at this point. Uh, the other thing I want to say is like Elliot as Jesus Christ mm-hmm. uh, and, and some part of a triune Godhead is all the fuck over this show. Oh yeah. Like they've been, they've been, talking about this stuff from almost day one the other thing i'd like to point out is it's not a trinity unless you have three people inhabiting one you have three personages and one being right which means tyrell as elliot has to kind of be true to make that thing work or unless angela is the third one well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I guess it would also have a certain amount of symmetry where these things are progressively revealed. Like, essentially, season one was all Elliot. Season two, I mean, early, late in season one is revealed that Elliot and Mr. Robot are the same people. And that's kind of the the season two 
you've you've added this this explicit person that's in the person's head and it's always like it's it's up there and acknowledged. Season three, maybe they add the triune part of the the right. the God Force. Good. And then Ganon shows up and steals it. Uh, Nicole M. <laughs> at this point, I think we can say that if Tyrell is an alter Elliot of e- uh, Tyrell is an alter ego of Elliot, an alter Elliot of ego, uh, that Tyrell did at one point exist as a separate person. I do think that is com- incontrovertible. No, no one can. Yep. Yeah, I will not entertain any any theories to the contrary. There's just too much proof that that uh, I, I think the smoking gun was the fact that Mobley knew about Tyrell Elliott when Elliot was speaking to him and there's no fucking way if that is some kind of you know riddle riddling induced second family second life that he's got going on there's no way that Mobley just be like you know what you look exactly like Tyrell Elliot yeah or type shit Tyrell well what is his name Tyrell Wellick, Wellick? Yeah. yeah um there's just too many flaws in the theory that I've all that, that they've always been the same person. We mentioned it all. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I am in the Tyrell was never shot or killed camp, and this is why. The clue I have is very subtle and means maybe nothing, but I think it's proof to Elliot that Mr. Robot did not kill Tyrell. When Elliot is in prison and therefore before Mr. Robot reveals that they have killed Tyrell, he asks Elliot, what's the last thing you remember? Now, this is a classic liar's move. Mr. Robot was trying to gauge Elliot's recollection of the events so that his version wouldn't contradict what Elliot remembered. Like I said, maybe it means nothing, but if I've learned anything watching Mr. Robot, it's that there's almost no throwaway lines. Hmm. I agree with that analysis. That is a classic manipulating, gaslighting kind of technique. Yeah. Uh, you find out where they're, the last thing they remember so that when you construct your story, obviously it can't predict because you're building off the last thing they remember. Why would he lie about this knowing that Tyrell's still alive, though? I believe Mr. Robot is counting on the fact that he'll be able to take over and have control of Elliot. We see this a few times later in Season 2, where Elliot watches Mr. Robot have interactions with people like Sisko. If Mr. Robot tells Elliot that Tyrell is dead, he can prevent Elliot from seeking Tyrell out while he continues making plans with Tyrell about Stage 2. Only when it's necessary for Elliot to be brought back into the loop would Mr. Robot reveal that Tyrell is alive and in on everything. It seems to be a loose interpretation of ask for forgiveness, not for permission. What do you think of that analysis? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm mostly on board with that. I mean, like, I, I think you want to talk about character development. I think the lucid dreaming thing was character development for Elliot. He has gotten access that he didn't have before. Yeah, to another to this other part of himself, Mister Robot, and right. like to just say that that was all a dream or uh, that it's part of Mister Robot's plan seems seems to nullify it would take away that power yeah Yeah. it it would take away that piece of character development which i felt was a strong one and a good Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. um so i i just can't get on board with the theories that tyrell is not real at this point okay um so i'm with you but wait a second tyrell not being real has nothing to do with the lucid dreaming points why does that i i guess what what i was i was with you until you made that last statement what i'm saying is this idea that that Elliot can get inside, can can be the silent observer for Mr. Robot, right? Yeah. Is undercut by the idea that this would all be part of Mr. Robot's plan um, or something like that. Because mm. if Mr. Robot is the one letting him in, then Elliot didn't develop anything there. He just fooled himself once again mr robot fooled him well but no i I think that like the fail safe that Mr. Robot planned for was to tell someone to never to, to not let Elliot although I guess that doesn't make sense if he's not a real person 
because then it's Mr. Robot relying on a fiction, like a figment of Elliot's imagination to kill himself and put him in some kind of coma, which he's seen work before. I mean, that's the thing. Like, well, I, there, this is directly referenced in emails later on, so I don't want to develop that point just yet. Okay. Uh, Richie has a problem with our understanding of the $50 a day limit. I think you un- misunderest- mis- misunderstand what that limit is. It's a limit on the amount of cash that can be withdrawn on a given day, not a limit on all transactions. It's to prevent a mass of people from withdrawing everything from their accounts all at once in a panic, thereby further destabilizing the economy. It isn't a limit on how much people can be paid or used to pay their bills, just a limit on cash withdrawals. Right. I would no, assume I... debit cards, credit cards, and checks would still be able to be used in the same manner as before 5-9, as the thing, last thing the government wants to do is to stop people from spending money. Okay. But the, but the account balances are all zero, right? I mean, they encrypted all of the data well, in Corp. They they did they what they what they said they did was nullify everyone's loans. So so here's the thing. So he okay. when when we're rich, you say I assume debit cards, credit cards, and checks. Okay, I'll grant you debit cards and checks, but credit cards, no. So take credit cards out of the equation. Right. Also, if this is just a limit on how much cash you can pull out of the ATM, that doesn't make sense because you know. Writing checks and using your debit card is the exact same thing as pulling cash out of the bank. Now, mm-hmm. banks can run out of physical money. They can't run out of, like, you know, assume, unless you actually bleed the, the banks completely dry. Mm-hmm. They can't run out of, you know, their capital. But I think that's what that's that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to avoid a complete financial collapse by everyone withdrawing all their accounts and and all these things, all the banks being over leveraged, which is all how much debt they're they're right. owned. If, if you think that China has two trillion dollars in actual cash USD, sure. right. you're wrong. But, but they I'll, have it in in numbers. They they have it in digital right uh, bank accounts. So but, like. The the idea that they could hand them cash to to tide E Corp over mm. on this fifty dollar a day thing doesn't make any sense. Well, the other thing is like the other thing that I think that Rich and I had like five different people say this exact same thing. Miss is the conversation with the parking lot guy, mm-hmm. where he says you just can't live on fifty dollars a day. Are we, what this guy doesn't have a checking account? Doesn't have a debit this, card. This guy's been and, and if he's living if he's always if he's living paycheck to paycheck he's always been living to paycheck to paycheck and if he can withdraw. If you can just write checks and do debits, then it, it doesn't make any – there's a real pinch here. Why are people if, – if you could buy stuff with your debit card and write checks, why are people trading for baby formula on the streets? Right. Like I think that this is really a freeze on the liquidity of everyone's accounts, that you can only move $50 a day. And it makes sense. If you're encrypting – why? The, why if would you're a street a company's data? Why just go for the loan? Why right? would a C store guy be going out of business if the only difference is people? Now, I think that even if you couldn't have a credit card, that would still be a big, pretty big blow because a lot of people rely on the credit cards to kind of live beyond their means, and it all works out because most people keep getting raises, most people's house keeps appreciating in value and we've seen in recent history when that stops being the case like when you have a a real estate market correction Mm -hmm. suddenly these people that were servicing their debt and being just fine are now underwater hopelessly and they're losing their houses i think that you know if you take away people's credit cards uh you 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 evaporate the value of their homes uh and make it impossible to to buy or sell those things 
and they can only have $50 a day, they're fucked. If, if they have full access to their bank accounts and can spend it willy-nilly, I think it would be a lot less troublesome. Right. So in that scenario, it would only be a problem for people who are living above their means, which, granted, is a lot Everyone of people. Um, in America. But, nearly everyone. Uh, but, but I mean, like... So you wouldn't have to pay your credit card either, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what I'm saying is, like, if they're actively accumulating more debt, right. if they're not just using debt to kind of increase their capital at any moment, right? right. So, like, I make, you know, $3,000 a month, and I'm spending 3200 a month or something. Right. Like, that's a scenario where those people are fucked, mm-hmm. even if they have access to their bank accounts, because eventually that gets, sure. that gets dwindled, dwindled away. So, like, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems obvious that there is a very big crunch on society, and that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't come about if you just, just wiped out those loans. I mean, maybe our resident bald move economist can weigh in on this next season because this is yeah. obviously the last podcast. We can't revisit it now. But I, it just, to me, from what I understand of monetary policy, is that um, only allowing you to withdraw $50 of the cash is not, you know, like the classic run on the banks is where you close out your accounts. Well, if you can write a check, why couldn't I just write a check to the you know to to some place for the full value of my account? Mm-hmm. It's a it's 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 a you know you're just making most ATMs won't allow you to withdraw more than a couple hundred dollars from your account anyway because they have a limited amount of cash and they don't want to run out of cash because that's annoying. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I I feel like that doesn't explain. The biggest thing it doesn't explain is that parking lot attendance, like almost tearful, like I can't, I can't, I, you can't live on fifty dollars a day. Well, if you can spend anything except for f- cash, like who, who the fuck spends anything for cash? I almost never carry cash nowadays. So I don't know. I, I feel like our understanding is closer to the truth than the people trying to make corrections. But so, what good does? Let me ask you this: What good would uh, the eight hundred billion or whatever they got for the bailout? the first time to keep them afloat and the two trillion from china do if it's not cash what do you mean not cash i mean it's not physical actual money that people can take out of an atm well i mean i think you're right yeah, like you're not physically moving pallets of cash although some people do like there there are instances right. where so you that's, are moving that's what pallets I mean. of cash but that that's that's what i mean like if they don't give them cash uh-huh. and everybody in the fucking world is taking usd cash uh-huh. Out of the ATM, eventually, whether China gives them two trillion in funny money digital currency, anyway, it doesn't matter because they're going to run out of actual physical cash. No, because the, the treasury can print cash anytime they want. But, but they're not involved anymore, right? China's now the China one. can print cash too. They're a sovereign nation. They can't print USD. No, but they can print yen that's that ha- that has a trade value. I mean, that's I guess the other point is like if they did give a company two trillion dollars, it would massively fuck up their currency. And I don't think Sam Esmail understands this enough to write something that's that super believable and doesn't kind of evaporate. It, you know, it's kind of like they've already fudged the lines with the computer hacker stuff, and we're not huge. We're not expert computer hackers, but we're, we we know the lingo enough to see the holes in it. I mm-hmm. think a lot of this stuff is, like, hysterical if you're a real economist or you know any kind of thing about monetary policy. Probably. Because, yeah, like, cash, like, you know, this is, like, you're, we're, you're treading dangerously close to the whole people. They're like, oh, cash is a fucking scam and we need to go to the gold reserve. Like, n- no, no, you need to study modern monetary policy and see see how it works if you start saying stuff like that. Because... 
Yeah, like cash and not being pegged to any kind of physical value. That the what 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 money? My understanding is what money? How money derives its value is based on the productivity. Right. That uh, labor generates mm-hmm. like that, like where the U.S. dollar is no longer secured by gold or silver or fucking cocaine or whatever. It's secured by the labor productivity value of the American worker. Right. And as long as that keeps going up, the dollar is going to be hunky dory. Spoiler alert. Automation is going to fucking wreck it. But, you know, that's probably 50 to 100 years down the line. We'll see what happens. Well, it'll wreck it for everybody who doesn't own the automation. Right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And if we're cool, it'll be more productive than ever. Cool, it's just not the people. If we're cool, but being ruled by an automated elite, then then right. let's just keep doing what we're doing. Richie, he continues. You guys both, but Jim especially, said you didn't like season two. But if you listen to the podcast, you both liked nearly all the episodes individually. I'm not criticizing, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether a show like this can be enjoyed enough on a week to week basis to make it worthwhile, even if you find the overall story sags. I think uh, so. Wh- well, I mean, so it's. <laughs> So I responded to this question on Twitter with, uh, you've heard the expression greater than the sum of its parts. Season two was exactly the opposite. Right. Like, like every- the parts were kind of good in a lot of cases. Some of them were spectacular. Right. But they just didn't come together in a way that was satisfying to And me. I, I've been beating that drum very early on that I'm like, this is good, but I ultimately question whether it's going to build up to something that feels like it's worth all of this artsy fartsy stuff and in in my opinion Mm -hmm. it never quite did that's not an indictment of the show so you know yes i did like and 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 that's why it's like everything every hour is a very finely crafted piece of entertainment but all 12 episodes added up to that stack up with the great episodes of or the great seasons of television that i've that, that i that i know and love my answer is no yeah so that's that's how you can have that kind of and i don't know like i I, I felt like I said a lot during the season that, yes, this is a great episode, but, or I'm not sure if I, like, maybe this will all make sense in the grand analysis, but I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I need to hedge my bets more, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I essentially just kind of try to come to the show and say what I'm thinking each week, and I, I felt like in the well, last that's, three that's weeks, that, don't key. you feel like in the last three weeks we kind of started to turn a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that's key. Like, the, there was this progression where you're like, okay, that was that was a good episode mm-hmm. individually. Oh, that was another good episode individually. And eventually you get toward the end of the road and you see the light. You right. see the end of the tunnel and there's no light. And like, well, the jail reveal is kind of dumb, but we figured it out in advance. And maybe that's not Sam Esmail's fault. He's trying to outsmart the internet, blah, blah, blah. Like, right. you, you make excuses and rationalizations because... I'm not rooting for the show to fail. Are you rooting for the show to fail? No. So we're 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 trying to you know assume good faith here, and then when you get to the end, and you f- realize this has all been the slow jerk, and you can see that part coming too. Like, yeah. You go okay. Well, we're we're most of the way through the season now, and, and- we're half of the way through the two part finale and like right. oh they're if anything doubling down on asking questions instead of giving answers. Like oh, yeah. you're not seeing the signs you expect to see. Okay. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. That's it. Joel has uh, Joel Joel from the planet Krypton has a theory about White Rose's plan for Washington Township plants and her cobalt mines in the Congo. Basically, Esmail is borrowing from the Val Kilmer movie The Saint. You've, hmm. you, you've already got me. 
I'm, okay. I'm all in. It's one of my one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies. Where Elizabeth Shue's character cracks the code on cold fusion, giving the world free and renewable energy. The purpose of the Washington Township plant and the cobalt mines is to meet this end. Elliot and Angela's parents were tragic and unintended byproducts of the White Rose's work, but ultimately worth the sacrifice since success would bring humanity to the next level. By next level, I mean a world free from the requirements of energy. Uh, most global conflict has at least some form of connection to energy. Um, and then, of course, you know he just kind of... Uh, goes through and lists all I think that's uncontroversial yeah, no, that statements. That like, makes a ton of sense. Yeah. To the extent that nations fight, they fight over resources. Energy is one of the most important resources mm-hmm. in the twentieth and twenty first century. Uh not to mention the obvious effects such an energy source would have on global warming, pollution, etc. Cold fusion serves to free the world from a great deal of problems, and no doubt White Rose can justify almost any sacrifice, especially if she's playing the long game and taking into account the potential energy wars many speculate will occur whenever fossil fuels begin to run out. That uh, that makes a ton of sense when when paired with that idea. That would qualify as taking humanity to the next level, in my opinion. And, and it's not something that's sci-fi with, necessarily. Within the like, realms of plausibility, right. something that a, 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 a populist freedom fighter would justify almost any evil to attain because giving right. the world free power, I mean, I can't even overstate what a huge thing that would be. Yeah. No one can. Like, that's yeah. like, that's... It's, that and might be the end to war. Right. And it, it solves a lot of immediate problems um, that we have with, like, you know, uh, climate change. Sure. And, we just instantly stop putting carbon. And in fact, we right. might get too cold. We might have to, like, deliberately release carbon. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's well, instant. Well, also, <laughs> like, the, the big problem with global warming is not, like, fucking the day after tomorrow bullshit. It's, right. like, desertification of places where people are depending on food. Well, you know, guess what? This world's like 70% water. It's just all salty. Yeah. If you have unlimited power, the, the, the whole problem with desalination plants is they are ridiculously power intensive. Well, if you got yeah. essentially too cheap to, to meter power, that's no longer a problem. Like just everything gets easier if you don't have to worry about power production. Right. So that would be a big game changer. I, if we're not going to matrix or back to the future with this, piece i like the cold fusion theories yeah and it may even access uh, allow us to unlock access to technologies that are just too power intensive today right sure. i mean we could do a lot with like colliders and upping the power there and just mm-hmm. making more discoveries which unlock new technologies i mean it really could usher in a new era for humanity sure space travel yeah. like if you have this yeah. small self-contained fair, relatively safe uh, ability to generate immense power mm-hmm. holy shit uh, Cherie from the UK says, for me, Tyrell and Joanna have been the most one-dimensional or difficult to understand slash cartoonish characters in the show, and I wonder if it's simply the result of non-American characters written by American writers rather than some tinfoil sci-fi plotline. She elaborates, uh, like how Bond villains tend to be British, or how Scandinavians, such as Tyrell and Joanna, are often portrayed as cold, creepy, and sadistic a la girl with the dragon tattoo. I just find that even characters like that's true. Like if you think of like what I call the Euro trash characters that you see in like the transporter and the triple X's of the world, they're always blonde Norwegian Scandinavian Scandinavian types. Yeah. Well, they're evil. They are. As, as, as <laughs> every one of you, every one of you. Yep. Sure. You're wealthy and <laughs> take care of your pop. But we know deep down you're a bunch of fu- fucking freaks. That's how we sleep at night. 
Uh, I just found out that I just find that even characters like Angela and Scott Knowles had some depth to them to somewhat explain their motives. But Joanne and Tyrell are pure Sir and Lady Macbeth and don't seem human. Um, yeah, I mean, I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know how to fix that. I mean, that's like uh, uh, a, a kind of culture, you know, a, a cultural provincialism that. Right. Probably's not going to get a lot of attention because I don't think there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, Scandinavian types like, hey, wait a minute. And we got bigger fish to fry at the moment. Sure, <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, Corey from Atlanta says, I want to talk about Joanna and her motivations this season. Stephanie Corneliuson, which is the actor who plays Joanna on the TV show, had an interview with IGN. In the interview, she discusses how the last thing Joanna told Tyrell was to not come back until you fix this. I believe this was the scene in the hospital during season one. Is it possible that Tyrell hasn't gone to her or reached out because this isn't fixed yet? Mm-hmm. You both discussed how loyal he was to people in his life. Maybe he doesn't believe it's time or the place to reach out to Joanna. Stephanie also discussed how the character believes Tyrell is alive and that while he is doing what needs to be done, a quote spoken uh, this season from Joanna to Elliot and also to Tyrell in the past, she is also doing what needs to be done indicating that Joanna was focused on handling the murder of Scott's wife for this season while she had faith that Tyrell was handling negotiations or allegations concerning the hack. Also, so let's talk about that first. Um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of theories that we're going to discuss later that talk about, like, try to explain why Tyrell has, you know, like, if, if I say as evidence that Tyrell's dead... You know, like, well, Tyrell's alive. Why hasn't he gotten back with his wife that he claims to love so much? This is the answer, right? Yeah, I mean, you could she see told him season th- one. Yeah. I mean, th- she was pissed at him for everything not going perfectly at his job, right? I right. Mean, you can see a, a scenario in which he would not want to go back until he's got these this problem on lock. Right. On the other hand, it's also increasing. Until he's done something worthy of her, frankly. I mean, it, it, it's it's weird that this season has kind of muddied, even though we found out a lot more about uh, Joanna. I still am no closer to understand what makes her tick. Mm-hmm. Like, is all this really for the wealth and power? Seems like it. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I mean, basically, So yeah. then why is Tyrell trying to throw all of the world's financial systems into the shredder? Like, Well, he tried it. He tried it E-Corp's way. <laughs> Mm. And they ousted him, and he, and now I feel like he's got to, you know, he's taking another path now, hmm. uh, to to what he sees as some kind of destiny, or some kind of. Do you greatness. think Joanna's down with this plan? Do you think? She, I don't know. I, that's a good question. If if Tyrell is alive, it does seem like they're painting him as a true believer, like a fanatical religious convert. Yeah. I don't think Joanna's on that page. I think Joanna I mean, yeah. pr- assumes that he's still pursuing his scheme to get on top of this you know he wants to be the philip price where there's you know there's no one more powerful than him in the room right but i don't think tyrell again if he's still alive feels that way at all mm-hmm. uh cory also wanted to ask what about vera do we think we'll play he'll play a role in the future vera of course the uh the gangster the drug dealer uh that uh Elliot From bailed out of prison last season. Season one, yeah. I, I think he's done. I don't think we'll ever see him again. No, I agree. Yeah, he's gone. I mean they're why at this point would they get back in each other's orbit? I he, I don't know. I mean his he is such a low level and Elliot is such at this next level type of threats that I I just yeah, I don't 
if you're expecting to see him, I'm not saying you're wrong because who knows, but I, I certainly do not share that expectation. We'll ever see him again. Jacob H says, my question isn't about cyborgs or time travel or aliens, but rather something simple. What the fuck is going on with duck Phillips? This has been bothering me all season ever since he popped up at the karaoke bar. Surely you don't bring the actor in for a nondescript 30 second scene, right? Should we be keeping an eye out for him as a big player in season three? If so, what faction is he most connected with? Or maybe Mark Moses has just fallen on some hard times. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I took it as gospel because, you know, I remember I was, I was always a big fan of Seppenwall and Feinberg's podcast, and they always talked about this, about, like, if you see some throwaway character that you recognize from stuff in episode one of a seasons for Mad Men, guaranteed they're going to come back. And they were always, always, always right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, is Mark Moses that level of character or is Sam Esmail just swerving? Uh, did he happen to be on the set one day and it's like, Hey, I was going to cast some just, you know, he's just on the set. Is that what he's doing now? He's just showing up to sets, hoping I to get hired. John Hamm does that. And not because he's hoping to get hired. Just like, you know, John Hamm's <laughs> oh, okay. in New York. So, Hey, I'll do a guest spot on 30 rock or I'll right. sh- stop by Saturday Night Live or I'll be on the Amy Schumer show. Or like, I think some people like to kind of get into that mix and they're available and they're easy to work with. And, you know, they also probably get 15 K per appearance and that ain't nothing. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, this is the first time I can think of where, Someone that you've seen in other things and has kind of a successful character actor career has been cast for a 30-second scene that went nowhere. Yeah. I mean, maybe – I don't know. Maybe part of Angela becoming Khaleesi will be her, you know, settling some fin- uh, f- unfinished business with this guy next season. I, I don't know. But I I'm, I'm, I was shocked that he didn't come back, Jacob, now that I think about it. Sean M., while there are many questions and things I could ask and talk about, I thought I would just propose one question. How could the FBI match the bullet casing to the popcorn gun when they don't have physical possession of the weapon? I'm no ballistics expert, but I'm pretty sure that's impossible. What could possibly be on that bullet casing that could identify a gun they don't have in their possession? Um, So my first thought, Sean, is like, well, okay, New York's a pretty liberal state. I know that it's been bandied about in gun control circles to this thing. If you buy a handgun, one of the requirements of registration is to have, like, its ballistics information on file. I actually looked up, and I, I, New York doesn't have any anything. You have to register your handgun, but that involves the serial model, the serial number, the model, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I I kind of am with you. I I don't know that you may maybe it does. Uh, do, are you aware of the FBI having some program where they get like every time someone a gun manufacturer registers a gun that they actually fire a casing and. And send it off to the FBI in case it's ever used in a crime? No, but I got the impression that it wasn't, like, you know, the specific rifling of the gun or whatever that was the indicator. It was some kind of, like... The, the, the model. It, well, that, that, it was, that was it in made, Making a Murderer, right? They they proved that the shot, the gun was fired from a right. rifle of the same type that was in Stephen Avery's possession, but they couldn't actually identify it ballistically. I thought it was something more than that, like a like some kind of not not like chip in there, but some kind of like printed thing where, where it told them exactly what gun it came from. But how like, would they, again, unless they have that information on a file, which I can't find any evidence of, how would they know that? 
Right. Because the way I understand and ballistics it, works is you get the murder weapon, you fire a bullet out of it, you, you right. match you match the rifling to the bullet of what and, and that the, was in the victim, and, and the you're the like, aha. And don't come with the gun. Like, no. They're just a, they're just a generic caliber. And, and also you the can casing, I guess, there's a unique, the unique dimpling that, that, the, that the firing pin makes when it makes contact with the casing, so you can also identify it from that. Mm-hmm. But, like, you have to have – you have to have – a bullet or a casing that was that you think was fired from the gun, the gun that you think was fired from, then you have to do testing mm-hmm. to see that they match. And if you don't have all three of those things, then you can't say that it's a match. So yeah, that's interesting. I don't. Yeah, I but I that you've exhausted. Unless they have something and, and in I did, database. I did as yeah. much as much research as I could on it. If anyone has the answer to this, I don't. I I guess get on the forums and post it because uh, we're we're riding off into sunset. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt I'll remember this a year from now. Uh, Aqua A says, "What keeps me watching Mr. Robot? One, the Viva Re- La Revolution Rev- Revolution phase. Whether they succeed or fail, and how they do it is so compelling. What show has stakes as high as this one? Fair point. I mean, yeah. you're talking about the global financial stability hangs in the balance. Mm-hmm. That's why I like season many, one so much. Not many shows have those kinds of stakes. Uh, that." Felt almost entirely on the back burner in season two, though. Sure. So that, you know. Uh, second point, I'm a visual arts student. I don't know if this is impactful for others, but the cinematography and locations are so, so beautiful. Better than some theatrical showings. This gets me through shots of people staring at things we can't see, i.e. the stuff you guys hated. <laughs> uh, three, the license and original music are just perfect. I agree on both of those last two points. Like, yeah. even when I don't understand the show, it is amazing looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music was consistently excellent, uh, both the original and, and the uh, um, sourced m- music. I like the flat, stereotypical depression voice most characters have. It's so soothing, just a personal bias, I guess. Uh, what is that, the the ASMR? Yeah. Like you just, just listen to Elliot talk and get the tingles. Uh, Sam L- uh, Mail's creation has just one huge flaw. Another listener said it, and I'll weigh more on the scale. You really can see with the Shayla story, good, and the Elliot and Jail story, bad, that Esmail is turning his movie script into TV and adding additional plots to pad things out. He, the problem is he has to have only exceptional side plots or he should just give us the juicy main plot. This season really should have ended with blowing up the records, basically a, moving a step forward of the revolution plot just like season one, five, nine was actually implemented. I think Esmail really cocked the ending up a bit. Um... So I think the reason he punted the actual destruction is because I think that's going to be the plot, a large plot of the early goings of the next season, Elliot desperately trying to prevent this. Yeah, I think he should have done that in season two, frankly. Tell us what stage two is pretty early on after Elliot gets out of prison like two episodes in instead of five. And then have him try to prevent it all season. But what do I know? (laughs) I I don't know, man. I'm a dude in a room talking into a microphone. (laughs) Are you really? Is this all just a dream? Uh, he concludes it's also going to be he, – he also – I think he's trying to maybe uncover our bias towards the show. I think it's hard to podcast this this show for you guys because you try to provide explanation analysis, and this show is deliberately deceiving. Think about how Joanna said this is the greatest gift he's given to us, which – and while showing an ultrasound – Knowing that the character is just giving birth, birth herself, Esmail knew we would think that Tyrell, going so far as to make sure to make sure that Knowles unbelievably never said anything about a pregnant wife before. You both would have just had to go with the flow more often because the creator is actively trying to be tricksy. So I think 
the thought here is that maybe subconsciously we dislike the show because our show is all about analysis and figuring things out and theory crafting and this show is all about obfuscation of those things and contradicting those things and turning your conclusions over on your head which kind of makes us redundant well the so i think where i felt most uh most awkward in this podcast is when uh, there was a lot of stuff to speculate about because there was. I mean, the, th- those parts of the show also make it infinitely interesting to speculate and right. theory craft, right? Which makes the show. I mean, you know, from a if we just if we just boil this down to uh, the business of Bald Move, uh, things that fans are rapidly rapidly obsessed about equals good things for us as a podcaster. Right, and the show is certainly one of those things. Right. So, um, yes, it bedevils our ability to figure it out, but that also makes it extremely compelling from a listener and a right. viewer perspective. Because you right? get to discuss it all and say, yeah. well, it could be this. Oh, but it could be this, and here's yeah. why, and these are all the things that point to it. I mean, that's also good podcasting. Now, the the part where I felt real weird is we didn't get to engage in, in any of that theory crafting so much because Reddit is there and Reddit is figuring it out. And Mm -hmm. we just go on Reddit. We say we do all of that debating in our own head Mm -hmm. off air. And then we just come to the show with kind of what we think is the best theory. And there isn't, there isn't as much of that back and forth kind Mm -hmm. of thing, unless you and I, actually disagree on a point and then Which we, we can do have a, a fair bit on this show i find uh, yeah yeah i was surprised because we typically come down at the on the same side right on a lot of shows but this one i think we're farther apart so that was kind of the saving grace when you know i felt like well all i've got to do here is explain this theory right and it's going to take two minutes right uh but you would come back with another theory and why you think it's plausible and we could have a discussion sure uh, Kenneth W. says, I think Tyrell becomes way more interesting if you think of him as an ordinary man under an immense amount of pressure. To provide for his family, he did a lot of fucked up things to climb the ladder of Evil Corp. But Elliot offers him an alternative. Instead of enslaving his son to the same system he suffered under, Tyrell sees what's above him. A chance to make a world without currency and with unlimited energy. A Star Trekian utopia where his son can actually have an ideal world instead of a lie that is the American dream. Unlimited energy? Is this the same email or no, from I think fusion he's, email? No, I think he's buying into... Because I think... I, okay, I think there's the cold a big fusion, assumption there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Cold Fusion was a... Uh, Bald Move original or debuted right. on Bald Move. I think that's that was it's kind of been in the milieu. Okay. Um. So I like that. That that again grants that that Tyrell's still alive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like he sees. I don't think that anyone would say that Tyrell was a happy man in season one. No. Driven, ambitious, uh, eager to please, but happy. Not anywhere in the top ten of the emotions he's feeling. No. Nope. And I think that like I know that was the case when I had a son. That it crystallized a lot of things that I wanted for myself that now that I saw if I continued down the path that I'm going, that I'm essentially making him uh, almost guaranteeing he's going to make the same mistakes and be in the same traps I am. And it made me make a lot of changes in my life. Mm-hmm. I can see like, you know, birth, the birth of a kid really, I think has you soberly reflecting, where am I at? Do I want better? How am I going to provide better? Um, whether you can yeah. execute on that is, you know, that's, that's, uh, uh, that, that that there's a lot of interest there, but I, I like this analysis of of him that Tyrell having a son really kind of called him to question all of his life's choices and whether that's the best way to live. Mm-hmm. And the really interesting thing is and it, coincide with getting fired, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, that that forces some change. Too. Right. Like he like that's the thing. Like here here's a guy who certainly wasn't happy, but he's doing these things because they were the right things to do to to serve an end, and it didn't even do that. Yeah. Like I think that's like a real kick in the shorts if you aren't part of your family's life and you miss your kids' birthdays and you miss your kids' birth ball practices and you put in the time and you work 80 hours and then you don't get the promotion. Yeah. Like, what the... I mean, what do you do the when that happens? The sacrifices for nothing. Right. Uh, yeah. You you bring the system down, I guess. I mean, I mean, everyone can I kind of identify with some disappointment of, like, you know, putting in hard work and it not paying off because that's no guarantee, but, like... Sure. The people that put in, like, 10, 15 years and they're left with nothing, like, wow, that's 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 awful. Uh, Cherie from the UK, Double Dips, she has some interesting analysis from the Lolita, which I thought that's the one reference to the show that I fully did not understand. She has got some interesting analysis from it. I have some thoughts on the relevance of Lolita to Darlene and Angela. I've noticed on the podcast and other forums that people tend to focus on the pedophilia and the sexual abuse, but the story of Lolita has deeper themes than that. In the novel, Lolita was a helpless orphan after her mother died and had no choice but to stick with Humbert and allow his sexual advances. However, she learned to take back some control by using her only weapon, her sexual appeal. She started offering Humbert Humbert sexual favors in exchange for money or for permission to spend time away from him at a school play. Eventually, she saved up enough money and also met another older man, playwright, at a school play that uh, could help her escape. Unfortunately, the other older man turned out to also be a pedophile who forced young girls to participate in porn films, and Lolita found herself in yet a worse situation and had to escape again. I think the themes that resonate with Darlene and Angela are that they've both felt helpless in their childhood situations and dreamt of escape, eventually managed to use the one advantage they felt that they had to gain power only to find themselves in a worse position. Darlene was physically abused by her mom, was kidnapped and overshadowed by Elliot. She used her hacking skills as well as sex appeal with Cisco and Xander to carry out the F-Society plan. Eventually, she became overwhelmed and could no longer lead as their plan gets ever more dangerous. Angela, on the other hand, also feels undervalued, not taken seriously, and felt helpless with her father in seeking justice for her mother's death. She gains a sense of power when she is noticed and promoted by Price, and there are hints that there may be sexual attraction. Angela chants that she is attractive and beautiful before she thought was a one-on-one dinner with Price. But she found herself playing a much more dangerous game than she realized. I want to stop there real quick. We talked about why she suddenly flipped on her father. Is Cherie's thought here, it kind of was an epiphany for me, that if you're so broken up by the death of your mother, and you find that there is a corridors of power in this country that would give someone the ability to get justice for a loved one. And your father is just sitting there meekly accepting his fate, allowing the company that already robbed him of his wife to rob him of his financial security. Wouldn't that, wouldn't, wouldn't that give you some kind of contempt for them? Uh, probably I'm, like the show doesn't really spell what that is, out. Yeah, but what what is the corridor that? Like this, the, the getting when, a job at E Corp is. She, should her dad have gotten a job at E Corp and done some? I mean, the fact that she's like this young woman who has you know worked with this lawyer to and not let this thing die and kept moving it forward, and then she, with her own personal power, brings what what's the one fucker from last year that 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 wrote the book, The Last Honest Man, Jack. What was uh, his name? Terry Colby. Terry Colby. She she gets in this room with Terry Colby and kind of gets him to this admission, and then she impress like 
to her in, in her estimation, this was just her spending a little bit of time and kind of kicking the hornet's nest and look what she did. And her father hasn't even tried. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's why she has so, so much antipathy. She just has she it's it's not a feigned contempt. She's not trying to protect him. She has liter- real contempt that her father has made no effort to solve any of these problems and get any kind of justice for her and her family. And she's got to be the one that does it. Maybe. Maybe. I wish that would have been spelled out a little more clearly, uh, <laughs> if that's the case. Cherie continues, the show also hints that Lolita's real name... Uh, I'm sorry. I just I skipped it. The show also hints that both women have read and loved the novel, with Darlene using Lolita's real name of Dolores Hayes as her handle, and Angela being able to quote the book at the questioning. Her stra- the strange thing is that White Rose is aware of this. There are theories that White Rose had chosen these children of this radiation victims for some purpose, and I wonder if both Darlene and Angela were kidnapped as girls by White Rose, who introduced the book to them. Hmm. Hmm. Darlene, sure. Angela, I mean, if she's kidnapped, that's like got to be like some kind of repressed memory, right? Yeah, she hasn't mentioned anything about being kidnapped. Uh, in season one, she said, I do, to Elliot, who proposes to her with a key during his heroin hide kind of fever dream. Season two, she answers with a quote from Lolita that she has the key in her fist. I feel that Angela is seen as the key to both influencing Elliot and Philip Price. White Rose knows that she somehow has a hold on Price, a la Lolita's appeal to older men, and Elliot's clearly in love with her. <laughs> White Rose's spies would have seen him kiss her on the sp- subway before they abducted her. The quote from Lolita is also significant, as in the book, Humbert feels elated when he holds the key to their hotel room, fantasizing that now he owns Lolita, who is sleeping in the room. However, he's unable to bring himself to rape her when he returns uh, to the room. They only have their first sexual encounter when Lolita initiates it. Similarly, Angela has this power over two key players, but she is almost too afraid to wield it. Like I said, I haven't read Lolita. Um, I thought this is all interesting, and it does seem like this. This I've forgotten honestly about the scene of him proposing to her with the key. Mm-hmm. It seems like Esmail has been laying these tracks a lot longer than I suspected. And maybe I'm gonna have yeah, to break and down it, and read Lolita or watch the movie <laughs> or something, and fuck it. And it puts you know her interest in older men in context, maybe. Right, because we've always been questioning what the hell is going on there. Well, and, the, and, and also like the fact that I was confused by Philip Price refusing her when she was kind of like ready for it, and then when he proposed, mm-hmm. like she refused him. Like that seems like there's a mirror to to the literature that I wouldn't have appreciated that reading it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Might have to. Might have to bite the bullet. Uh, Frank has some thoughts on Joanna. To begin with, I was with you guys, sharing the same opinion of her character for the first and second season. But my perspective didn't change until I considered a discussion during your own Python Part 2 podcast. It was around the 1 hour 45 minute mark. Our reader had wrote in suggesting that Tyrell Wellick is weak-willed and directionless, needing someone to give him direction. Then Aaron asked, what's the difference between Tyrell and the bartender guy that Joanna was currently manipulating? Jim jokingly said they were the same. You guys chuckled about it and moved on. For shame, because there is the key. (laughs) Hacking can be done in code and hardware and, of course, also in social engineering. Mm -hmm. Joanna is shown as the master of that last art. She finds the right personality types, cultivates them, and then deploys them when needed. Like zombie machines, they've been infected and waiting to be pointed towards a task. I wouldn't be surprised to learn whom the guy you call government-issue face man is in the same boat. I think the hint was even dropped during his conversation with Elliot while waiting for this cell phone call trace. If there's an in-game coming a few seasons down the line, it may be that she will have the hacking skills that none of them possess, 
but is highly needed. She may become a key player, like a level 300 wizard or something we didn't even know was needed. The only thing I disagree with that is, like, they've already showed that Elliot is a hell of a social engineering person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so is Angela, and so is Darlene. So, But they all have a team around them, right? Maybe Joanne is the full package. So do you think... Well, but so is Elliot. Elliot's a master hacker, and he's also a master, master social engineer. I actually think what they're doing is you're going to have a team of supervillains and a team of superheroes, so to speak. And it's seeming like maybe Joanna's going to be the leader of the supervillain group. Hmm. Now, I don't know what what Team White Rose is going to be on. Yeah. Um, but I don't, like, she doesn't seem to fit into F Society mold at all. But yet... There's something about Elliot that that she needs or intrigues her. And or... she knows she's working with Ty. He's working with Tyrell, and she presumably knows right. this is involved in the five nine. And she must tacitly improve it, improve of it, because she's been working, arguably this season, to <laughs> do her part to get her husband back into some kind of legally a pal- a palatable situation. I don't know. Maybe that's what she's doing, or maybe she's written off Tyrell and she's now black going to blackmail Scott into giving her the money that she was so concerned about when Tyrell left. But it's she can't literally be just about the money, right? I don't know. That's what doesn't know. make it, she's still such a cipher. Yeah. I don't understand why. Like I I get it. What Maybe makes she, her tick? Yeah, what, what what motivates her at her core? Honestly, I mean, up until this last episode, I didn't even understand Tyrell. Right. Like, Tyrell makes a lot more sense as a confused person who's disillusioned with this dark version of the American dream, and he's wanting some way to kind of wipe clean his karmic debt or something. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt in Boston. For a variety of reasons, I believe Tyrell is dead and is another one of Elliot's personalities. Okay, so he's, he's repping oh, my theory boy. here. First thing is Tyrell's the most wanted man. This is a really strong line of argument, I think. Mm-hmm. First thing is Tyrell is the most wanted man in America, maybe the world, and has not been located by any authorities. Where has he been this whole time? Why would he still wear a perfectly tailored suit with his perfect... Okay, but let's let's imagine for a second a New York in which the Dark Army has mobile, mobile attack forces mm-hmm. on every fucking street corner listening to police, police scanners sure. and getting there before the cops, right? Like... Mm-hmm. The Dark Army could hide him. The Dark Army could hide him, but like, let's let him develop this point. Okay. He's walking around with a perfectly tailored suit with his perfect hair sticking out like a sore thumb, taking random cabs in the middle of the city and getting dropped off on side roads. Even the cab driver would have likely recognized him. If someone as distinctive looking as Tyrell Wellick, very handsome, would stand out in a crowd anyway with the way he dresses and grooms... Mm-hmm. It does seem unlikely that this guy could just walk around several blocks and hail cabs and not have people, and especially since he's on the front page and 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 they're covering what his wife's doing on television and and the internet and in tabloids. Like it seems like in our celebrity driven culture, like once you achieve a certain amount of fame, you can't hide. No matter like even if you want right. to, and he's not he's not doing the Harrison Ford thing where he's wearing a a hat pulled down over his ears. <laughs> And he's, yeah, that's the most and, confusing and, part is he's, and he's still wearing dressed su- up in the suit. And yeah. Like, that, okay, that's a little weird. Yeah, it's uh, like Harrison Ford showing up as Han Solo on Times Square and being like, oh, why, why, you know, why are people bothering me? Right, right. He puts on the Indiana Jones hat. Right. He grabs a bullwhip and expects people not it to has a boombox going dun-dun-dun-dun. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. hey, come on, man. That's fair. That's so, a little strange. I think this is a, it's a good, this is a good point. Mm-hmm. Um 
so he concludes this only makes sense if Tyrell is actually a projection of Elliot's memory of him. I don't think it only makes sense because he's that's been true, so he's but... been in hiding for three months and mm-hmm. he still has a perfectly coiffed hair and perfectly tailored suit. You tell me, Dark Army doesn't have barbers. Yeah, that's true. In their employ, come on. Look at that haircut BD Wong's rocking when yeah. he's saying like that. You could set your watch by that haircut, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, second thing is the bullet casing. Matter of fact, he might have had an upgrade if he started seeing White Rose's uh, tailor and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, stylist. He could get in some really nice Chinese dresses. Sure. Well, like I said, you know, Zhang is immaculately groomed and dressed. He's very right. Tyrellian. Wh- whether when, he's White when, Rose or Zhang. When, when uh, she's, she's projecting in a masculine aspect. Uh, the second thing is the bullet casing. Who got shot? Pretty weak cliffhanger if the bullet is just missed and struck no one. Tyrell's the only one who could logically have been shot, and Mr. Robot said that he shot him, for whatever that's worth. So this is the who got shot in F Society, if not Tyrell. Right. We he, asked, like, what that gunshot was all about. Why is there a casing? And there really isn't... I don't think there's any competing theories on that. I don't think there can be. We've never seen a gunshot in, in Fun Society, right? And, and everyone from F Society is accounted for up until, mm-hmm. you know, Romero. We know why how Romero got shot, so we know none of the random revelers got shot. What the fuck? Right. Like, so. And they're saying the casing, like, I was trying to piece together, okay, maybe Romero was shot at Fun Society and his body was transported, but that doesn't make sense because they would know the gun, right? And the, I think that, that the casing didn't come from the neighbors. Even, as, even gun. as thumbs up their asses as these investigators were, they would surely know that a body got moved. Right. This crime scene doesn't match the, yeah, the horror show that his body good at is. That nowadays. Yeah. Uh, stage two developed uh, was developed by some version of Elliot. We originally assumed it was Mr. Robot who came up with this, but it could just as easily have been Tyrellit. Tyrell looks to be a big part of stage two, and I can't imagine an actual Tyrell would have had this capability, desire, or hacking skills to handle this on his own. I do. Well, that wait a second. I, I dispute because they did when they introduced Tyrell, they did show him as being unusually high degree of technical ability. He's the only executive he's ever seen who uses Linux. Right. And here's the thing: I forgot to mention this on the last podcast, but. Mm-hmm. During Elliot and his first meeting, Elliot's like, I'm a genome guy, and Tyrell's like, well, I'm a KDE guy. Mm-hmm. When we see t- Elliot looking at Tyrell's work, guess which desktop he's using? Genome. So does that mean but, but Elliot that, set up the hack. Does that mean like, Tyrell – oh, bullshit. Elliot went in there and set all that Dark Army shit up in that abandoned oh, you're warehouse. Talking, I thought you were talking about Fun Society. No, I'm talking about when he actually came and, and he's showing Elliot stage two. Uh-huh. That was a, a genome desktop. Now, okay. if you know, guys don't know Linux, it's essentially someone saying, I like Windows, I like Mac – and then the character that professed to like Windows, you show up later the next season and they've switched the Mac. That almost never happens. Like, right. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Windows guy. You're a dyed-in-the-wool Mac guy. I can't imagine a scenario in which three months later I decide just to use Mac. Yeah. So is it is that a sly way that Esmail is showing that this is actually Elliot? Or is it showing that Tyrell is so following with like a, a a newly converted zeal, Elliot's way of thinking that he's actually converted to his desktop of choice. Because hmm. I thought that was super interesting, the fact that Tyrell's now using yeah. Genome. I don't know. Uh, Gnome. That's, that's a good question. Do they pre- I always pronounce it Genome, but I guess it could also pronounce Gnome. I always call it Gnome. But oh, fuck. I, 
don't know. I'm also a guy, a big proponent of GIF, not GIF. So, <laughs> right, me too. Uh, let's see. Are we also to believe that he Tyrell has made no contact with Joanna or his newborn child? Now that we know where the gifts and pictures are coming from, uh, I only mention this because I believe it could be the reason Joanna is still around in such a big part of the show. Is it possible that she will find out Elliot killed Tyrell and then seek out vengeance on him as she did on Scott? Lady Fist Knowles. Is that interesting? I mean, the FBI is crawling up his ass. I don't care about Joanna's plot. Well, I think that his first point Elliot. here is like, are we really to believe that Tyrell made no con? Well, yeah, because again, Joanna told him, don't come back till you fix this. But, uh-huh. but I do like the idea of Joanna leading a super group of evil people that are all against Elliot when she finds out that she's mur- he's murdered Tyrell. Really? I think that's cool. I feel like yeah. the FBI is enough. <laughs> we don't need another super group coming after. Hey, Elliot. man, we already. Hey, if you would, you, who would you rather have on you, FBI or the Dark Army? Uh, FBI. Well, there you go. They're completely they're incompetent be, in this show, and the Dark Army will just kill you, <laughs> just murder you, show up at a no coffee due shop process and <laughs> on a whim. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. There's always a bit. There's always a worse person to be after you. It's true. Um, Joanna's the worst of all of them. So what do I believe happened? I believe Tyrell was killed during the 5-9 hack by Mr. Robot, and Elliot took the personality, his personality in his mind. Tyrell would likely have been... And that makes sense, because I believe that would be the first time that Elliot's ever killed a person. That's mm-hmm. a traumatic event that might fracture his mind further. That makes sense Could to be. me. Yeah. Tyrell likely would have been happy to screw over E-Corp, but he likes very nice things, so the idea of taking down the whole financial system and taking away all the money he worked for probably not sit well with him as a new father, and certainly not... But they not- just fucked him over hard fucking core. I mean, don't ignore the fact that he was just fired. Yeah. And the guy laughed in his face. Like, and that, yeah, he's a pretty unstable kind of guy. Right. Very prideful guy. So I, I'm going to throw that piece of evidence out the window, but, uh, I mean, otherwise, I'm, I'm kind of digging where you're going with this. Elliot explains earlier in the season that the first time Mr. Robot shot him in the head, it had a much stronger effect than the where we see it happen because he was gotten used to it. Mm-hmm. Stage two is the first time Tyrell would have shot him, so this is why he had such a strong effect on him. Otherwise, why do you have Mr. Robot shoot Elliot earlier in the season for pretty much no reason in terms of plot unless they're going to revisit it? I think this is a very strong piece of evidence. Why have that plot that explains this mechanic mm-hmm. unless you were going to use that to illuminate? Ah, but Sam Esmail is unconcerned with plot and mechanics. He's <laughs> all about characterization. You son of a bitch. <laughs> From the horse's mouth, that quote. <laughs> well, this horse needs to be drug out and shot because it's lame. <laughs> uh, this would also explain why Elliot and Mr. Robot found themselves not knowing what was going on when he got out of prison. They were jumping in and out of Elliot's actual body and were acting crazier and more confused than normal. This could have been due to the introduction of the third personality, Tyrellit. Also, I think that you know goes with the um, uh, the 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 the, the knit one versus a knit five. Like they're trying to tell us that there's some kind of change here that only yeah. makes sense if there's a third persona now. The thing, the other thing. So let's talk about the differences here. Tyrellit, Tyre, or Elliot didn't know that Mister Robot wasn't him, but Mister Robot always knew. Right. Is it weird that Elliot, the persona, neither Elliot nor Tyrell know that each other is the same person? Like, shouldn't one of the personas suspect that? I guess I don't know why. Like, well, there's no Mr. Rules Robot this also thing. didn't act like they were the same person, right? So maybe Tyrell is knows it, but is not acting like it. Yeah, and is it fair to maybe Mr. Robot didn't know? He only found that when Elliot did, and then act smug about it. Like that would be his. I, it's hard to say because I'm, I'm acting like there's hard and fast rules of this, and there's not. Right. The only rules we have are what 
Esmail is revealed to us, and they're not rules per se, as just behaviors that we analyze obsessively. I think uh, of all the the grievous sins of of the theorizers here is that they're just calling it Tyrellian. I think you got to call it Mr. Tyrellian. Mr. Tyrellian. Because otherwise, ah, Mr. Robot's get all... getting the shaft. You're right. That that gets all the Holy Trinity together. Yeah. Mr. Tyrellian. You you I I absolutely <laughs> agree with my co-host here. Okay. Mr. Tyrellian is the appropriate terminology to use when discussing this this theory. Yeah. Because it's in not in dispute that Elliot and Mr. Robot are the same. Right. Okay. Uh, Kenneth P says, I have one more email that I want to send in before you guys go off for another year. I don't have any crazy theory because at this point it's pointless to speculate. My main goal here is to provide a positive viewpoint of season two as a whole and sort of make sure we don't leave for eight or nine months with the last feeling being empty and longing for more. Fair point. That's a good way to end the podcast on a high note. Okay. Um, I want to focus on the ride we all went on to get here. All season long, we have been guffawing at the audacity of Esmail to pull off the shit he did. I mean, not only the prison cash, which if I'm sure that binge the season would have taken me at least till episode four or five to realize, but also the Adderall episode, the Full House episode, the Soderbergh, Angela, Femtocell scenes, getting, Ty- getting Tyrell answers, the Blade Runner, Turin test scene, the introduction of Leon and Dom, as well as building up a handful of power-playing females. Just the overall look and feel of the show is more mature and sleek, not to mention the improvement in acting from almost everyone. So excuse a little thing called sophomore slump, which Esmail understandably has been fighting this year. Um, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean that those are he just listed out the parts of this season, and I agree there were some really nice parts. I would love to see when this is all over. I would love to see like a some kind of. Elliot or not Elliot uh, Esmail writing a book about hmm. what he wanted to do in season two, what he actually think he did in season two, how the audience reacted. Was that a surprise? Were they all, were we, are we all playing into his hands right now? I did notice that he did do the interview with the ringer and a couple others, but there weren't the kind of like detailed deconstructions that I've seen from like, you know, Terrence Winters or Vince Gilligan or any of those types, uh, Dame, 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 Damon Lindelof, where they actually go and say kind of like after season's over, this is what they were hoping. This is what they're trying to do. This is what they're surprised. I wonder if he's keeping this stuff so close to his vest precisely because this is working and he's secretly delighted that it's working. Or is he deluded? And it's, I mean, that's a worst case scenario. If he thinks it's working better than it is, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's impossible to say. Uh, I think it's no secret that Esmail loves movies and loves to steal ideas from them because he said himself in, <laughs> yeah, come on, in those Fight words. Club, man. And some people are tired of him paying homage to his favorite movies and wish he would just tell the story, which I've been guilty of. But I put myself in his shoes, and if I was in charge of a TV show on a channel where I only get half a million viewers, I knew this where the plot was going, I think I would want to have fun and play dress-up along the way. When you go on a road trip, there are two ways they normally go. Either your parents just want to get to the destination so they drive the whole way in one stretch, or they make multiple stops at attractions along the way to distract you from such a long drive. With the former, you will get to the conclusion sooner, but the ride will seem boring and painstakingly awful because all you can think about is the end. With the latter, the end is put in the back of your mind as you are amazed and in wonder at the roadside attractions you would never see otherwise. Uh, I don't know. I I couldn't say. My parents are firmly in to get there as soon as possible, and if there's any lip given, then we'll just turn this fucking car around. (laughs) Don't think I won't do it. Uh, So I, I couldn't fairly estimate both of those possibilities. 
he concludes this outlook depends entirely on whether or not Esmail actually has an ending and isn't pulling a lost era Lindelof. So when ah, I'm going to cut you off there because we're supposed to end this on a positive note, man. <laughs> so that is our season two coverage of Mr. Robot. Uh, of course, if you didn't know it already, we are not going away. We right. are we are just putting pause on the Mr. Robot coverage. In fact, this week is uh, I'm super excited. This weekend's the premiere of Westworld. We just had our season preview podcast out. You're still going strong with Halt and Catch Fire, Cecily, with with Eric with, Walquist, with, which may have just had the best episode of the series. Really, it's a pretty strong one for me, anyway. Well, I'm Eric, glad it's Eric out was for not you. as thrilled. Oh, though, but he still thought it was good. Uh, Cecily and I are doing American Horror Story, which also might have had the best episode of the season i'm gonna say wait the wait isn't it the first or like second episode that's the third episode of american horror no, we just okay, just okay. watch we'll be podcasting that later today and then of course the walking dead comes back late in october which is always fun great way to end the year um so lots of exciting stuff going on at bald move hope you guys uh stay with us and uh keep following us in some of those shows if uh, there's a lot of different niches there a lot of different itches to be scratched and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be back. Uh, well, not hopefully. Hopefully Sam Esmail will be done with season three next year. So we will be back to cover it. I expect that. Yeah. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever he thinks of, of how he wanted to do season two or how he personally feels, it turns out, I hope he goes to the fan communities and kind of looks at some of the things that people are saying, uh, both positive and negative hmm. and kind of leans toward those things i'm um, conflicted because if he's got a vision and, and that we're even though the ne- reaction is somewhat negative and confused if that's the reaction he was hoping to have i hope he sticks to his guns and doesn't doesn't put any sugar in that because 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 what, what kenneth is saying here is like this this show is being made for half a million people right now i guess i'm i'm saying that coming from the perspective of i think he leaned more into what he wanted to build this season um and mm. and it got a little too it went a little too far in that direction. Hmm. I hope he brings it a little bit more toward the season one okay. type of show that it was. But again, that's just me. There are many people out there saying this was a far better season than season one. Uh, I have, so. Really? Because I haven't seen a lot of that argumentation. I've seen a lot that like you know that that. I, well, I mean, people who are saying that this is you know the the streamline artsy show that's thematically interesting that it wants to be and then, mm. you know sam esmail himself like we leaned way more into characterization right and that kind of stuff i mean you know it, it didn't quite do it for me but that for a lot of people out there it definitely right. did okay and i mean i i don't know that there's i i just see like the plot being brought back into focus at the end of season two and I'm hoping that trend will continue into season three. Gotcha. And, and we could produce a really excellent season three. Okay. For for me. All right. Uh, but yeah, that'll 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 do it for our season two coverage. Thanks for going on the uh, the the voyage with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see you hopefully uh, con- on a continuing basis. But if not next year, till then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Bye bye.